whenever you turn to professionals and you ask them about getting over bad memories or dealing with things like memory attacks or perhaps even just very intense anxiety, I always noticed that they were saying the same thing over and over again, well, go to therapy. Many of them would not even provide an explanation about what the therapist is going to do, and there's a very big reason for this. It's, um, in some ways it's a manipulation tactic, but also it's just, um, encouragement to get you in the door, and then once you're there, then the therapist is going to, um, do something, and they don't even always tell you what it is. But they're talking about the processing of trauma, and it's about re-experiencing it. And I asked somebody flat out once, like, why is it that to get over bad memories you have to re-experience the uh, trauma? And the response that I got was, was horribly unsatisfying, but the person said that some people bury the bad experiences into their emotions, so they aren't aware that, that this is the reason that um, they are experiencing these bad feelings, these uh, bad memory attacks. So if they experience it again, re-experience the trauma, it leads to processing it, and um, then they can recognize that um, I have had this bad experience and it is causing me to have these um, memory attacks and so on. I think that this is horribly impractical because it's not the only way to go about things. I mean, let's not pretend like therapists don't do good things. They can. And let's not pretend like things like medication are not valuable. They are. If, for example, if someone has a very intense mental illness, perhaps such as schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, they're going to need medication, and many people need medication, but it's also perhaps that some people are over-medicated, and even if you're someone who is unable to attend therapy for any reason, maybe it's related to health insurance, or you're just um, very skeptical of the reasons to go see a psychologist, a counselor, or a therapist, what are the alternatives? And the first one that I found was, um, through the self-help world about getting over bad memories, is one that I learned about from Scott Adams. He's the host of the show Real Coffee, but he's also the cartoonist behind Dilbert and an author, and he provided a, um, a strategy on how to get over bad memories. Now, I have tried this one. I didn't have the best experience with this, but this is just one thing that you can do. And it's first, visualize a television set. Like, close your eyes, visualize a television set. Think about everything. What color is it? How big is it? Is it a plasma screen or a different type? Is it one of those old-fashioned screens with the curve in it? Or does it have, like, knobs and dials on the side? Or where's the power button? Visualize a television set. And then, on the screen... Look at whatever bad memory you're experiencing, or that um, has been bothering you. If there's something that has led to post-traumatic stress, and yes, I do mean post-traumatic stress. I mean, you don't have to have had any particular background to experience post-traumatic stress. And the book, A Mindful Nation by Tim Ryan, even talks about, we need to stop calling it post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. We need to simply refer to it as post-traumatic stress. It's not a disorder. It's something that people regularly experience. Now, 
you're not experiencing this memory again firsthand. You're going to be watching it on your television, whether it's black or brown or a yellow television that you've imagined. Visualize the TV set, and you're just sitting there watching that memory happen, and just as vividly as you can remember it. Now see yourself picking up the television set and throw it in a garbage can. That's one way to uh, get over bad memories. Um, I tried that one. I didn't really think it was too practical. If anything, Scott Adams provided a better um, follow-up to that by saying that a way to get over bad memories is find something that you're passionate about and bury yourself in your work. Workaholism, if that is a word. Become a workaholic is what he said. Like, But do it in a passionate way. Like, If there's something that you're extremely passionate about, Put your time and energy into that, and you'll find that very slowly but surely, you will have less anxiety, you'll be thinking about um, whatever issue that um, has come to mind that has been bothering you, you'll be thinking about that a lot less. So, that is a little bit similar to the processing of trauma, like the um, thing with the television set. Becoming passionate about something else, though, that is not. And that's why I wanted to do this episode, because I found that everything in conventional psychology and conventional counseling and therapy talks about how you need to feel worse before you can feel better. And I never understood that. Like, why do you have to feel worse before you feel better? And, um... I mean, finding something that you're passionate about and just pursuing that continuously and regularly, that is definitely going to um, lead you to be thinking about whatever bad experience that you've had in the past that's causing you memory attacks and anxiety. You will be thinking about that less. The next strategy that I found to be much more effective than Scott Adams's uh, trick with the television is something called the silent prayer now, please, this is not a religious thing. Some people absolutely do not like to hear about politics or religion. This is just something that you can do. It's like a mental exercise. And the way this one works is, first, um, you kind of sit upright in a chair, and you just begin to become aware of your thinking. It's quite similar to meditation and mindfulness. And the, I learned about this, of course, from Jesse Peterson, who um, promotes this very regularly, but like what you do is you try to become aware of your thinking and you sit upright in a chair, maybe on the side of a bed. And first you'd become aware of your body, like become aware of the crown of your head all the way to the tips of your toes. And then it's about knowing that any time you get lost in your imagination, that's bad. I'm not talking about kids daydreaming about riding dragons and such and fighting with some type of giant sword or battle axe. Okay, that's probably fine. And to provide the value of context, that's not what he's talking about. Anytime you get lost in your imagination thinking about daily life and other people, that's bad. You're either telling yourself that you're inferior or you're telling yourself that you're better than somebody else. Doubt every thought and recognize that you are not your thoughts. And that's what this mental exercise does. You sit upright in a chair. You become aware of your body from the crown of your head to the tips of your toes. You might feel a warmth. You might not. And then you allow yourself to um, 
just um, listen to the sounds that are around you. You allow yourself to just feel the um, internal components of your body, if you can feel your stomach growling. And those things are happening in the present. A lot of things that they tell you about in mindfulness and mental awareness is that you want to be aware of the present. Like any time you get lost, daydreaming about, um, let's say, bad memories, or just even if you're just thinking about um, something like repetitively over and over again that isn't from like some type of fantasy that you're going to use in a short story, but anytime you're thinking about human life over and over again in a repetitive cycle, that's bad, and that should not happen. You need to focus on the present. So, um, and the, the, there's a component of the silent prayer that I found helped me, that really helped me, and that is have no opinion. Like, when you're sitting there, just upright in a chair, and you're going to see bad things happening, like whatever bad experience that you've um you can imagine whether it's something like about embarrassment or rejection or someone is trying to fight you like what you tell yourself is i have no opinion about that and i didn't hear that in um his tutorial on the silent prayer instead um he just said um allow it to happen and that's something that i found often made things a little bit worse for me like he he would just say like relax into it and i when I would do that, I would find that it often would make the bad feelings a little bit more intense. So I, but there was something that I was able to um, learn from him, just say, I have no opinion about it. And then you'll find that um, throughout the day, especially if you do that regularly, you can see that um, just telling yourself, I have no opinion about it. If you start remembering something or you get a flashback, I have no opinion about that. And it leads to a greater level of mental clarity. On the note of mental clarity, someone once gave me a suggestion that I did not like, and that was that bad memories are heavily connected to the senses. For me, it's all about sound. Like um, if someone says, like, certain sounds will trigger the memories. It's not about colors or images. But what this person said was, if you have bad memories, like go to the freezer and pick up an ice pack and hold it in your hand. And um, another one is actually like washing your hands and paying attention to the movements. I'll say something about that in a second, but I do not like these methods. I do not think they're helpful because like what? whenever you feel bad, you're supposed to just go to the freezer and pick up an ice pack. What if you don't have the ice pack with you? Then are you just going to have an anxiety attack in public or something? That's why I don't like them. I do not like any form of mental awareness or mindfulness or any type of um, self-help method that involves something mechanical. The things that I just talked about, about you know, visualizing something in your mind and trying to eradicate it, absolving it. See, that's the thing. It's not about re-experiencing the trauma. It's about absolving it. And um, Dharmic spirituality talks about this a lot. You're not fighting against the... Um, issue, whatever it is, you are absolving it. It is going to be removed. It is no longer present within you. So um, the other thing about washing your hands, though, uh, that can be done in a form of a meditative way. I wouldn't use it to overcome bad memories or deal with anxiety, but what I, I heard this on a self-help podcast. I don't remember which one or else I'd cite the source, but they said, 
the most basic form of meditation is just breathing in and out and paying attention to your breathing. Only concentrate on your breathing. And you can do this throughout the day in a more unconventional way. Like every time you wash your hands, like maybe after you go to the bathroom or before you cook dinner in the kitchen, you wash your hands and try to only focus on washing your hands, like those movements and the feeling of the water. That I think is very good. I love stuff like that because that encourages you to um, focus on one thing at a time, and you're not trying to use a mechanical method to alleviate whatever type of mental um, problem that you're experiencing, because otherwise it's just going to turn into, oh, I feel anxiety, I need to wash my hands, or I'm like, I'm remembering something bad and traumatic from my past, I'm going to wash my hands. So instead, I think it's very valuable to do those types of behaviors if you are um, just trying to focus on the moment, and it's about focusing on one thing at a time, as opposed to um, processing trauma. Because I found, though, like this whole thing about relaxing into it, um, I found that often makes it worse. Um, so that's why I like, I have no opinion about it. Learn to focus on one thing at a time. And uh, moving on in life, finding something that is uh, going to replace whatever bad experiences that you've had. So um, there are many ways to uh, deal with these things like memory attacks, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress that don't use the uh, thing about making you feel worse. It's just um, you immediately start to feel better. I was talking to someone a couple of years ago about uh, how do you move forward in life and so on. Someone who was a couple years older than me and had a little bit more life experience. And I was like, what's the key to... Uh, making it in the real world. I mean, that's what we were really talking about, um, just surviving in the business world and balancing business life and friend life. And what this person advised me was, find a good inner circle. And I cannot recommend that enough. I mean, find a good inner circle, really recognizing that you want friends who want the best for you. It's even one of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life about f making friends that want the best for you, not just people who are trying to um, reinforce hierarchies and they're just, they want a friend who is beneath them or they want a friend that they can um, keep around for utility. There's something useful about this person to the friendship, whether it is they have a big house or they have a a car then that they can drive them around, or maybe they have money and they provide um resources, or perhaps they just um need another person in the room and they're gonna use this um person as like an emotional punching bag. Or some people even talk about how in friendships one person is often the talker and one person is often the listener. And um over time that person who is only doing the listening is going to feel underappreciated. But really finding friends who want the best for you. And that is um, also something that I think, I, I just can't re-emphasize re it enough. You're just going to be making more bad experiences if you have low-quality people in your life. And maybe that's an unfair thing to say. How about this? People who are not on the same page with you, people who don't um, 
want what you want, or they don't want an improvement in well-being for everybody in the group. It's either only in them for themselves or only for certain people. Like, people will try and create inequality, and I have an episode here on this channel talking about red berries and blueberries, personality types. The red berry is a very hierarchy-oriented person, and usually it's not the leader of the pack. And somebody even wrote this in the comments section, giving a shout-out to whoever you are. They said, I know what you mean about the red berry, that someone will recognize that they're never going to be number one, so instead they just want to be number two. And then they create this identity for themselves that they're the right-hand man for the leader, and that if anyone else tries to do anything, they put them down. They will treat the leader like a king or a god or maybe a queen or a goddess if it's a woman, and then everyone else will just be uh, mostly tolerated unless you start expressing yourself in a different way, and then they'll try to put you down. But um, that's just one type of toxic behavior, someone who's very hierarchy-oriented, but the, it's very unequal and toxic all the same. Now, that's something about just getting over bad memories, dealing with anxiety and post-traumatic stress, remove toxic people from your life. And sometimes it might suck, sometimes it might not, sometimes it's just going to be a breath of fresh air. There was this song from the band Flaw, uh, I think it was called My Letter, yeah. I used to listen to that like all the time back in high school, like 15, 16 years ago. And there was a line in there that I just couldn't comprehend as a high school student. It said, one more friendship ends, and then for a while, I can breathe again, my letter by flaw. And I was like, that just made no sense to me at the time. I mean, what? You don't want your friendships to end, right? I mean, you're, if, you, if the, these people are your friends, you're supposed to like them, and you're supposed to respect them, and you're supposed to feel good about them. Now that I'm in my 30s, oh, I can definitely comprehend that. You've removed someone from your life that wasn't very good for you. And just because someone wants to spend time with you, it doesn't mean that they're going to be, um, they're going to be contributing in a positive way. Okay, on that note about friendships. Once you have the good inner circle of friends, here's the next point. They are not psychologists. Friends are not counselors. Friends are not mental health professionals. They're, they are there to be your friends. I mean, to talk about, you know, things like movies and video games and TV shows and music and comic books, as well as um, interpersonal relationships, if you guys know the same people and so on. But once you um, have good friends in your life, yeah, they might be able to relate to you and they might be able to empathize and share emotions in a way that you find to be very strong and stimulating. But it's also important to remember they are not psychologists. They are not there to solve your problems. And a lot of us want to do this. I have wanted to do this so many times in the past just to talk to somebody like a friend and expecting that that's going to alleviate anxiety or alleviate um, uh, post-traumatic stress, but that's really not the answer. The friends are there for uh, support, but they aren't there to actually um, correct any of the problems that you might be experiencing, and a lot of that can be done on your own. And this is uh, something that was mentioned on the now deplatformed Free Domain Radio, that there has been an overemphasis on medication and psychotropic drugs, but those often make people feel worse. Instead, um, the self-help 
world has been heavily downplayed. And through the explorations of self-help, you can um, improve your mental quality and well-being. And I was um, I heard this on another show. From, it was on the Big Mood channel when someone said, it's not just about listening to a single self-help program and then putting that strategy into your life. It's about entering the world of self-care, about listening to self-help programs regularly and showing that you want to improve your well-being, you want to improve your uh, state of mind and your uh, just overall, you know, like personality and health, so you don't experience things like anxiety. Now, some people think that um, you're supposed to experience sadness or you're supposed to experience anger and that these things are natural, and not only that, are are they natural, but it, without the um, sadness, you wouldn't feel the happiness. There's a movie called Inside Out that talks all about this, and I absolutely disagree with that, and I talked about it a little on the channel Astro Psych 400. I do not believe that you're supposed to experience um, things like sadness and anger. Those are actually bad, and you're not supposed to um, feel them at all. Anger is an evolutionary response to injustice. Well, what? What? Injustice, meaning things that are not just. Okay, you should not have those things in your life. And once you actually achieve, like, um, a level of mental purity, uh, there's almost just no going back. Or you recognize that um, there is another way to live. And those are the things that we need to stay away from. Yeah, I get every time there's an up, there's a down. There is the dark and there is the light. There is the big and there is the small. Yeah, they exist. That means that they exist. But it doesn't mean that you have to stay down all the time. Or just because there is an up and there is a down doesn't mean you have to be in the down place at all. And a lot of people view this as a landscape. A lot of people view life as a landscape with peaks and valleys and such. And I was just listening to this on the channel, Barehanded Enterprises, which is hosted by Bulent Gherkin. And what he was saying is that life is like a road. Not all roads are straight, right? Most roads are not straight. They got twists and turns and they got little pieces of asphalt breaking off on the side, ups and downs, and they got potholes in them. All of these, um, things that um, you can experience. You're going to be experiencing all types of uh, different emotions, but where's the road going to? And this is covered in The Moral Landscape by Sam Harris about how, yeah, there's a landscape with peaks and valleys, but on one end you would have things that might be like bliss and faultlessness and peace and um, the conventional forms of uh, mental purity. And on the other end of the landscape, you have misery and chaos and unwarranted destruction and some people think that, and this is not from Sam Harris, but that life is about the journey between these two extremes. And it's not about ending up in either place. It's about the journey itself. I, I should quote Jordan Peterson because he's the one who said that. I definitely think, though, that it's more about striving toward the blissful pro-peace side of the moral landscape and getting to that level where you are not connected to these things like anger and sadness, or even the worst ones that I mentioned, misery, chaos, and unwarranted destruction. So those are the um, ones that uh, I definitely would incorporate in my life, but or I would encourage other people to do the same, or thinking that way has definitely helped me 
When I was 26, I perhaps achieved maybe the highest level of mental purity that I've ever experienced. And that was just it, though. It was about focusing on that type of moral landscape um, fashion. And I was influenced by um, Eastern spirituality, Dharmic spirituality, reading up not only on Hinduism, but also Jainism, and learning about absolving bad experiences. The highest level of mental well-being I've ever had in life was when I tried to actively remove um, things that are conventionally bad and um, or just, uh, I mean, I guess I'm dancing around the subject a little bit because I'm trying not to get too personal, but I will anyway. But talking about those things like misery, chaos, and unwarranted destruction, if something contained something like that that I thought was misery, chaos, or unwarranted destruction, I would be like, I'm not incorporating it in my life. Like when uh, you're listening to a song, even if it's like hip-hop, and they would start talking about bitches and hoes, I'd be like, I'm not going to say those words. Obviously, I do now. I just did, right? But um, for about a year and a half, I was living like that. And Or if um, any time there, there was something that was just conventionally mean, I would ignore it. I was like, I'm not going to say those words. I'm not going to be around that person. I'm not going to uh, watch that TV show that's mean. And... It improved my quality of life so much. Granted, you have to sacrifice a lot. Do you think people are going to want to um, be around you if you're going to um, just always be the person? No, I'm not going to do that. It's mean to somebody else. Um, you have to sacrifice a lot. But at the same time, this is all about getting over anxiety, getting over uh, bad memories and getting over post-traumatic stress. That worked. I will tell you firsthand trying to eliminate things that are conventionally um, bad from your life. Um, but by bad, I just mean that the traditional definition of it, just things that might be rude or even just can, in line with something like misery or something like that, just saying, I don't want those in my life, it will lead to an improvement in well-being. And I actually have a challenge question for you guys if you've listened to this far in the recording. This is another one that I heard from Big Mood when they said, this is your challenge question. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? Maturity is when you re recognize that curse words bother some people, so I'm not going to say them. I'll say it one more time. Maturity is when you recognize that curse words bother some people, so I'm not going to say them. And... Um, definitely, you will, um, experience a, a greater sense of well-being if you eliminate them. Most of the time, I mean, it's, it's not an easy challenge. It's an uphill battle to never want to ever say, damn it. I mean, you will find that it will come out every now and then, but here's one point, though. If it does, I mean, get over it and move on. That's the next thing. But on that note about, um eliminating mean behavior from your life, eliminating toxic people from your life, and trying to get to a better place. I heard this in 2018 from a video that was put out by Christopher Namelka when he said, oh no, it was 2019, but who's counting, right? <laughs> no, he said, um, if you're mean, I don't want to be around you, and I don't want you around me mean to anyone, mean to men, mean to women, mean to black people, mean to white people. If you're mean, 
I don't want to be around you, and I don't want you around me. And I was like, you know, it's something that really stayed with me. And I've tried to incorporate that into my life, but that is also a very big challenge. Because, you know, like, I'm just, um, I'll share something else very personal with you guys. I was on Facebook, and I had those um, suggested friends that kind of pop up, and I didn't add the person because someone I knew from a junior high and high school, and I really didn't like him. But um, I saw that he married somebody from high school that I didn't like as well. And I was like, what? Those two people got married? I guess two shitbags think alike. Then I was just thinking, wait a second. What did I, What was I just watching in that video? If you're mean, I don't want to be around you, and I don't want you around me. Well, I'm thinking something very mean. I didn't even say that out loud, but I've said very similar things like that. And, um... Definitely, definitely, those things bother people. And talk about the foundation of an inner circle. If you if you were to voice something like that, that definitely makes people feel uncomfortable. It makes people feel bad. But just getting to that point, once you become aware of your own thinking, that all right, if I'm not, if I'm gonna be, if I'm gonna be critical of other people for being mean and such, I also need to eliminate that from my life and. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's something that you strive toward because those are the things that I encountered in 2014 about how, yeah, you strive toward that ideal of bliss and faultlessness and peace on earth, and it's a hard thing to do. It's maybe nearly impossible to eliminate all forms of misery, chaos, and unwarranted destruction from your life, but you still keep trying because otherwise you're not trying And what kind of responses that but um i've also read this back in um back when i was in college i think i was trying to find out why was it that my behavior was bothering people because everyone would always just say ned you're weird i was like what am i doing that is making people uh so uncomfortable or why am i why is my behavior bothering people so i would spend a lot of time reading about it on the internet and one thing that I encountered was um, this uh, page that said, if you use curse words when you first meet people, they're going to think you're weird. And that is so true. Because, I mean, this is heavily connected to anxiety and PTSD and um, just like mindfulness and mental awareness. Because once you begin to eliminate those things, you find that um, you're just going to be in a higher, st a higher state of... Um, mental clarity, or you're going to um, take pride in this um, ability to strive toward that definition of um, bliss, peace, and uh, faultlessness, that um, you're going to be striving toward the ideal, and it's going to have a strong impact on you. So I think to um, recap here in this episode, the most important things that I have found is that it's about not getting a response from whatever bad memories that you've experienced. And um, this is covered in that silent prayer as well. Your thoughts have to get a reaction from you to keep um, repeating themselves. So you tell yourself, I have no opinion about that. If you'd like to try the silent prayer, I mean, I'd recommend it. I don't do it as regularly as I should. But um, it's definitely had... It had a strong effect for me when I did it in the way that I, I would say, like, if, like, I ever encountered 
a uh, bad experience. Like, and I just started thinking about something that had been traumatic for me in my life, saying, I have no opinion about that. You can also try that thing that Scott Adams said, visualize your uh, bad experiences on a television set and then throw the television set in the garbage. Um, and then um, getting the good inner circle, finding something that you're passionate about and pouring your life into that passion. I would only balance that with the statement that it shouldn't become an obsession. Like if you like building birdhouses, I wouldn't just um, start building birdhouses 24-7. But um, and definitely think about opening a business or something like that. If you're good at building things, why not open a business? And also recommend the book Smart People Should Build Things uh, that uh, Andrew Yang had. So there are lots of um, ways to improve mental quality uh, and uh, mental wellness without going to a therapist, but it's always there. And I guess by law, I'm saying this because you have to, um, you can't downplay the conventional forms of psychology or psychiatry. But the thing I would leave you with is that I really found that counseling, psychology, and therapy, it's not about well-being. Psychiatry is definitely not about well-being. And I mean, it's not simply that I think that. Somebody flat out told me this once when they said, all right, I mean, you're talking all about well-being and such. A psychiatrist is someone who treats a mental illness. That is their function, first and foremost. That's why so many of them are unlikable, because, I mean, that's what their focus is. And I've always been looking at life with that type of filter. Many people disagree with me. I've talked about this with other people. They don't agree with that assessment. But I really found that psychiatry is about dominance and submission. It's not about improving well-being at all. It's just about putting somebody in a place where they cannot kill themselves or kill other people. Or in more honest terms, they can't do physical harm to themselves or to other people. And psychology and counseling and therapy, those are also not about well-being. They're about surrender. They're about... um allowing somebody else to control your emotions. Here's another point that I'm glad I remembered. Anytime someone refers to an idea or memory or anything of the sort as an object, reject it. Ideas and memories are not objects. This is abstract versus concrete. And you can even just tell them, please don't say that. When they say like, oh, well, the therapist has to rearrange your uh, thought process. Please don't talk like that. That's not what's happening. Or they're, they're trying to break you down. No, they're not. They're trying to control you. They're not trying to rearrange your thought process. They're trying to identify the traumatic moments in your life. I think that will really allow to, um, I think it will give you a greater sense of mental clarity because you'll see that that language exists for a reason. Dominance and submission that's what the psychiatrist is trying to do. They're not trying to rearrange your uh, thought process. No, they're trying to control you. and um, but, but not always in a bad way. I mean, as I said, I mean, some people really, really need uh, that type of um, psychiatric response. Other people do not, but some people do. And um, with the therapist, it's more about, and I said surrender. It's not so much done with, um, like... Force like not someone is not trying to overpower you in a mental way, and not physical force, but mental force. Instead, it's more of an invitation to come in 
and then that person is going to encourage you to use um encourage you to allow your mental faculties to be controlled by someone else they want to gain emotional control over you and a lot of it is power tripping and they were even talking about this on the show Clarice that to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist you really have to have this desire for power over other people and I think it's heavily heavily downplayed I used to say that it was never talked about until I heard it on that show I mean it's not always a bad thing as I said some people perhaps are in a state where they are unable to function in society and um I don't think there's any excuse, though, for creating something that could be more traumatic toward a patient. Like if like a psychiatrist or a psychologist is trying to control someone's mental faculties and they do it in a very, um, a very abusive way, or they create a new form of trauma. That's just traumatizing somebody in a different way. And um, these aren't my words, but someone else once said um, that that's the same as someone is bleeding out of their left arm so they go to the hospital and they won't sit still so the doctor cuts their right arm and says if you move i'll cut you again yeah they stitch up the left arm but then well they created another wound on the right arm it's like they solved one problem but they um created a new one and like i mean that's just it though you will see that once you stop equating thoughts with um objects once you stop equating ideas with objects the amount of clarity will come there just get rid of that whole thing about cutting the arm and you can see they created a new problem and that's why it's unnecessary and that's why the methods there are very impractical and they're not meant to be practical they're meant to be controlling and this is something that is just downplayed so much psychology and psychiatry are about controlling people they are not about well-being and that is why people turn to self-help a lot because it gets rid of this whole you need to feel bad first so then you can feel better you need to feel bad first so that person can gain mental control over you and then it weakens the person that you are trying to um destroy somebody's mental state so then they can they always use this term rebuild no you're not rebuilding they're trying to uh break somebody's will they're trying to control a person emotionally and then they can allow the person to experience emotions in a different way but you don't have to go from level one to level zero back to level one to level two i mean that type of thinking just doesn't exist or if something is working in some way you don't destroy it and then go back to the beginning and then just start over all the time as i said if you're at level one you can just go to level two all right if there's a blockage anyway move around it or if there's a type of emotional issue that is causing some type of grief absolve it i mean don't fight it don't repress it don't try to control it absolve it remove it from your life when you're having these bad memories I have no opinion about it. Throw it in the trash can. Like, I mean, that's like something that I don't think is equating it with an object. I mean, visualize the memory that you've had on the television set. Throw it in the trash can. Find good people in your life. Find people that want the best from you. Eliminate toxic people from your life. People who are hogging the conversation. People who only want to um, 
reinforce hierarchies, people who are going to be unfair and unempathetic, people who are going to just point out that, hey, you're doing something wrong, even though they're doing the same thing, or they're going to call you out and say that you're doing something that is poorly mannered or lacking values, but the other person that they're kissing ass to is going to, um, well, that's fine when they do it, but when you do it, it's not good. Those are people who are just trying to, once again, manipulate. They have this desire for power in the friendship. And not only is that not fair and not empathetic, it's not beneficial to you. So after the elimination of toxic personalities, you can really focus on just trying to be away from any type of mean behavior, whether it's from yourself, whether it's from other people, whether it's from anything to do with the conventional form of um, mean behavior, misery, chaos, unwarranted destruction, all of that stuff. And those are the things that have helped me deal with anxiety, um, post-traumatic stress, and bad memories. Now, if there's anything you would like to uh, point out in the comment section, please put one in there. This is not going to be a regular thing on Black Box Online Radio. I just wanted to do this bonus episode. So, thank you so much for listening to this. And please uh, answer the challenge question. What do you think about that statement? Maturity is when you recognize that curse words bother some people, so you will not use them. What well, What do you say about that? And if you disagree with anything that I've um, said here, maybe you've had um, an experience where you've um, been taking like maybe something like Prozac or Paxil, and it actually worked out for you. But uh, I would just want to conclude the episode now. Thank you so much for listening, and please look out for next week's Zodiac Mondays, the Wednesday AMA, True Crime Talk Radio, the Disappearance of Donna Lass, and Friday's Anything Goes segment. That's all for me now. See you on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.